Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, February 26th. I'm Hannah Floor. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski believes an effort by a Washington state conservation group to put Alaska king salmon on the endangered species list is misguided. The Wild Fish Conservancy filed a petition with NOAA Fisheries in January. Senator Murkowski says the organization has missed the mark. Uh, They are attempting to utilize a very legitimate law, the Endangered Species Act, for what I would consider to be a a very wrong-headed purpose, and that is to, to basically stop our wild fisheries. Senator Mikowski says Alaska's fisheries are under threat from several sources, including environmental pressure from climate change and warming oceans, and economic pressure from Russia's oversupply of traditional seafood markets. And there's also ongoing litigation by the Wild Fish Conservancy itself, which sued NOAA Fisheries in 2020 to shut down the commercial troll fishery for kings in southeast Alaska. That tactic has yet to succeed, so Murkowski is not surprised that the Wild Fish Conservancy is trying another. If you're looking to shut down a fishery, a threat by way of, of a petition with the ESA is certainly a direction to do that. I think we need to make sure that we are well armed with our own science and data about our fisheries, but that takes monitoring. Um, which is time, and it takes resources. And that's one of the things that I've been doing at the federal level to to help um, address the challenges that our fisheries are facing and our fishing communities. Senator Bukowski says outside environmental organizations often miss this point. No one has a greater interest in preserving Alaska's wild salmon stocks than Alaskans. Individual fishermen, their families, and the communities they live in all depend on healthy stocks. It is not in their interest to overfish, to overharvest, to see the species be negatively impacted. And I think we take great pride in, in how we have approached management. Now, it is not without challenge. We understand that. And there are factors out there that we're seeing at a rate and a pace that we've not seen before uh, that are associated with the environment and climate. But we don't get near the credit for the way in which we manage our fisheries with a view towards true sustainability. The petition to list king salmon in southeast and south-central Alaska is being reviewed by NOAA Fisheries, which is expected to make a decision shortly on whether or not it has merit. In either case, the question could wind up in court, possibly for years. District 2 Representative Rebecca Hemshute voted for a bipartisan education bill worth almost $250 million last Thursday. The bill passed in the House almost unanimously. The Senate is expected to pass the measure to Governor Mike Dunleavy early this week. If signed into law, the bill would bring about the first permanent increase to state education funding in almost a decade. KFSK Shelby Herbert caught up with Representative Hemshute while she was in Petersburg meeting with constituents. She says the education bill feels like a huge win for Alaska schools. Uh, We're not through, but it was finally making good on the top priority of my caucus since I got elected. So this is a day of celebration. Tell me a little bit about this piece of legislation. What does it mean for schools in District 2? There's more we could have done, 
and there are certain things I wish were different, but that's usually a sign that you've got a, a win when everybody's not quite happy with it. But what we did is going to really help in House District 2. We had two small schools faced with closure. So those sites will most likely be able to stay open. We also have students being transported in House District 2 in vehicles that are not road safe. So that will hopefully get fixed. We have at least one district with two buildings in it where they're keeping a fire watch because the fire panels are broken and they were ready to fix the fire panels with their limited funds. And then they had a roof leak. So they decided they had to fix the roof and they have to actually pay somebody to be in the building watching for fires until they can fix the fire panels. So we've let things go for so long. Uh, the last increase to the base student allocation, the BSA, was in 2017. There was a nominal $30 increase with the Reeds Act last year. And prior to that, we had received $100 raises for three years in a row. So really, uh, there hadn't been much of a meaningful increase to the BSA for so long that districts have been doing more with less, just trying to get by. And we've reached the point this year where it's very clear that our districts are doing less with less, and we needed to act in the legislature to correct that. You said earlier you felt like there was more that could have been done. Tell me about what didn't make it into the final bill. So there was originally a proposal by the governor to pay bonuses to teachers. And a lot of us objected to that language because we know that the people who make our schools work as a team are not just the teachers. It's also the folks who are driving the buses and making the meals and keeping the school clean and working in maintenance. So we wanted to make sure that anything that was awarded to teachers also had an impact on our um, support staff. And the other objection we had there is a, a bonus doesn't work if you go to the bank to be able to get a loan to buy a house. So by adding enough money into the BSA, and I don't want to use the word enough, it's not the right word. It's about half of what districts actually need. So we're not done. But by putting in as big an increase as we could get, what was politically feasible for this round should allow districts to make local decisions about how they want to work with their staff. I'm glad you brought up that last point. As of today, Petersburg's Teachers Union is still negotiating a contract with the school district, and Sitka's Teachers Union just wrapped up their negotiations. What are you hearing from your constituents about education funding? I think part of what brought us to this point was the incredible work done by families, by educators, by students themselves, by school board members. Everybody was reaching out prior to last night's vote, really spelling out what's at stake, what's already been lost. Down on Prince of Wales in the Southeast Island School District, they were talking about the different levels of increase and what that would mean in their district. We don't have music. We don't have CTE, career and technical education. We don't have a counselor. We don't have these positions because they were lost to previous tight budgets. So right now we're looking at maintaining the schools where we are, trying to give them the levers they need to keep their educators, and then, you know, we'll come back to it and try to move people ahead. Right now we're just putting a finger in the hole in the dike and shoring things up, but we need to do more. So what I'm hearing from constituents after last night has been, I don't really have the words for it, to be honest. There's been an outpouring of gratitude that I, I didn't expect. You know, you take votes like this because you know it's the right thing to do, you know it's needed, you've heard from people where so many people have reached out with support and gratitude, and that's been incredibly rewarding. That was District 2 Representative Rebecca Hemshoot speaking with KFSK's Shelby Herbert about the education bill that passed in the State House last week. Researchers from the University of Alaska Fairbanks published a study last month looking at how ocean acidification is affecting Pacific razor clams. Jamie Deep has more from Homer. Harvesting razor clams is a beloved activity for many Alaskan families, especially in Cook Inlet. 
The Alaska Department of Fish and Game manages a fishery for the clams in the Nanochik area, but it closed in 2015 due to declining populations. The fishery opened back up last year, but officials say it's unlikely to reopen for the foreseeable future. Marina Alcantar is a PhD candidate at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She says after talks with professors, they realized how little razor clams have been studied. As we moved forward, it became kind of shocking how much we didn't know about razor clams, especially considering how much they're loved, especially in Alaska. And so it just really became kind of a mission to figure out some of their quirks、um, and how they will respond. Uh, under future ocean acidification conditions, Alcantar collected clams from Western Cook Inlet and transported them to the Alutic Pride Marine Institute in Seward for the study. She and other researchers looked into the effect of ocean acidification on the early development of razor clams in Cook Inlet. The study looked at the effect of high levels of ocean acidification as well as changing levels of acidification. The higher levels of acidification simulate what future ocean conditions may look like. However, in many parts of the ocean, the level of acidification goes through a cycle of changes. These changing levels cannot be replicated in a lab. Amanda Kelly is an associate professor at UAF. They say this varying acidification better reflects the clams' living conditions in Cook Inlet. We know that razor clams inhabit the upper subtidal regions of the nearshore environment,、uh, and in Alaska, it happens to be. Super variable. The study found that the acidification affects how the clam forms its shell. Razor clam shells are made of calcium carbonate, which is also found in chalk and limestone. The study used two different systems to analyze the mineral structure in the shells. Alcantar says clams in high and changing acid levels have a different structure than the control group. And when we combined that data, it really pointed out to us that we are using some of the rarer. And more、uh, vulnerable to dissolving versions of calcium carbonate, she says. As the shell forms in more and variable acidic conditions, they're more likely to dissolve. In addition to the results of the study, Kelly says doing this research gives a better understanding of basic information about the clams. We really knew nothing about the early life history of razor clams until this study was carried out. Alcantar says this information will help to regulate and protect future populations, but this is just the beginning. It just means a lot, and I feel like you know it's a way for me to use my my nerdiness for marine biology to serve my community. Alcantar says she's waiting to publish another paper diving deeper into razor clams and may look into developing ways to grow razor clams in hatcheries. In Homer, I'm Jamie Deep. A viral TikTok video recently brought Alaska eagles to screens around the world. As Andy Lusk reports, it features the majestic birds in their not-so-natural habitat. Maybe you've seen the video yourself, and you'd be one of over four million viewers so far. It was produced by Erin Wittern. She moved to Alaska in April of last year. At first, she didn't know what to expect. Like when my husband first told me about it, I was like, "Un Alaska? What are you talking about?" And that's pretty much what everyone's reaction is on TikTok too, because it sounds so weird. But it- weird is one way of putting it. Un Alaska is an industrial town on an island wedged between the Pacific Ocean and the Bering Sea. It runs on diesel power and the might of the fishing industry. When it isn't being pummeled by wind and rain, its natural beauty is nothing short of breathtaking. 
In the summer, wildflowers dot the island's emerald green hills, and during migratory months, whales breach in the safety of its bays. It's only fair that influencers might want to plant their flags here and start churning out some of that sweet, sweet hashtag adventure content. But Wittern's online presence is decidedly modest. She posts videos from her hikes and usually doesn't break the internet, so to speak. That changed when she uploaded something originally meant for friends and family. In January, Wittern posted a TikTok video that has since racked up millions of views and counting. It's not of a dazzling vista or of wildlife running free in the Aleutian tundra. It takes place at the Unalaska City landfill. So I was going to the dump with my trash, and there was a ton of eagles there. And there's always a bunch, right? Like, normally there's a lot, but there was, like, an exceptional amount that day. The video opens with a dirty, bald eagle milling around by itself. Then Wittern pans to another eagle and another. One flaps across the shot, and a new tableau is revealed. The interior of the landfill Baylor building, with a whole flock of eagles perched atop a trash pile. Wittern pans to a walkway near the ceiling, its railing lined with over a dozen birds. She utters two words that sum up the experience. Comments poured in from all over the world. Many viewers had no idea Unalaska existed until they saw Wittern's post. One skeptic, however, didn't think the video was filmed in Alaska at all. You know, one person commented and said that I'm not really from Alaska. I'm just faking that I'm from here to get clout. What? And you know what their reasoning was? Is that in the video, we didn't have any snow. As for future posts, Wittern's plans remain unclear. She says some of the comments she got on the viral video make her apprehensive to post again. But there are still things she wants to capture that would be hard to find anywhere else. But now I have all these followers and I'm like, should I post something? Even when I was driving here, there was a couple eagles. And you know when they sit on the light posts and they like have their wings out and they're drying their wings? I was like, I bet you people haven't seen that before. Like, I'm just wondering if if I should take videos more often, I guess. Regardless of what Wittern does next, one thing is certain. There will be no shortage of Unalaska oddities looking for their moment in the spotlight. In Unalaska, I'm Andy Lusk. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.